0: Welcome to the Masters in Psychology podcast, where psychology students can learn from psychologists, educators, and practitioners to better understand what they do, how they got there, and hear the advice they have for those interested in getting a graduate degree in psychology. I'm your host, Brad Schumacher, and today we welcome Dr. Jada Phillips to the show. Dr. Phillips is a mother, wife, veteran, psychologist, and entrepreneur. She is the owner and CEO of Reserve for You Psychological Services in New Jersey. She received her BA in Criminal Justice at Mount Mary University, and she received two master's degrees from John Kay College, one in Forensic Psychology and the other in Forensic Mental Health Counseling. She received her PhD in Clinical Psychology from Walden University, Today, we will learn more about her academic and professional journey and discuss the joys and challenges of starting and running your own business. Dr. Phillips, welcome to our podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: I'm excited to talk to you as well. I see that you received your bachelor's degree in criminal justice and you were a litigation paralegal at two different firms. So tell me what sparked your interest in psychology
1: well um i originally wanted to be a lawyer actually <laughs> so when i finished my bachelor's at mount mary i moved to new york to be with my then boyfriend but now husband um so when i moved the idea was to go to columbia university and be this prestigious lawyer criminal lawyer at that uh that didn't quite ban pan out the way i planned so come I don't know, I think it was a year into being in New York. I wasn't ready yet for law school. So I was looking at other options, other avenues. I found John Jay, which is the School of Criminal Justice. More than thrilled to kind of go there. And originally, because I wanted to be like this FBI agent, um, not after lawyer, but I want to be this FBI agent. Idea was like to do crime scenes. I was like, if I can't be the lawyer, let's do crime scenes. <laughs> um <laughs> So what happened was I didn't have enough science credits to do forensic science. However, I did have psychology classes from my undergrad that I could do forensic psychology. So that's how I kind of got more into the psychology field. And then it just kind of boomed from there. That's kind of that journey. It's kind of like following, just following where things go with the flow.
0: Well, it sounds like, and you kind of addressed my next question is, how did you end up at uh, uh, John, is it John K. College?
1: John John J.
0: Okay, John J. College. And and was it more for the program or was it just convenience that you were able to apply some of your psychology to that to go ahead and go toward your Master of Arts in Forensic Psychology?
1: Um, I think it was more trying to stay in this criminal justice forensic field cuz so i figured still in my mind at some point to be a lawyer criminal lawyer so i figured at least for now to stay somewhere in the field and then eventually attempt for law school which i did attempt and then i went a different direction so
0: okay well, I'm impressed. You actually uh, must have loved your, your first master's degree because you decided, hey, I just finished this. I'm going to go back and get my second master's in forensic mental health counseling. So why did you go back to earn a second master's degree?
1: That's another funny story. Um, <laughs> so when we were, it was my last semester of the forensic psychology program where they introduced this forensic mental health counseling program. Um, and they explained it to us, because the forensic psychology does not come with a license. So when you're done, work-wise is not as easy finding employment, more maybe in the academic field, teaching. Uh, but they introduced this mental health counseling as something where you can get hours towards licensure and become a counselor. So my last semester, they offered for a lot of us to switch over to that program And they're only gonna allow like a 12 credit transfer. And I'm like, you're crazy. I'm about to graduate. I'm not gonna start all over again. So I graduated and then they offered for us to transfer all our credits. So technically I went back with only maybe, I think 10 or 12 credits to do three classes, Mm -hmm. something like that. Um, So it's really just going like opportunity, get an additional degree, get the license to actually be a counselor. and then it's also like, to me, it was like a free degree, it's three classes, and then I get another degree. So I took a couple of friends with me. I think three or four of us went back and finished out for that second master's.
0: That sounds like a sweet deal. And, and I'm glad that you held out You that negotiation tactic work. You said, are you crazy? I'm not going to do that. And then you go ahead and get your degree. And then they come back. Oh, we want you back. So come on. No, that's good. That's a sweet deal. At what point did you know that you wanted to continue your graduate career? Because uh, after that, you attended Walden University for your Ph.D. in clinical psychology. So at what point did you know during that second master's program that, hey, I want to continue my graduate work?
1: Well, this will come in handy for people in their master's program. So nobody really explained least well, that they, they didn't or maybe I wasn't listening because, you know, you're young. Um but I had no idea how this whole hours thing works. So once I finished and I wanted to get hours and you did about 3,000 postgraduate hours, which is about two years or so of working full-time, getting hours towards your licensure. However, when I graduated, nobody wanted to hire me. So I was like, you don't have experience, but I need experience to get licensed. So it was frustrating. So I was in a role at the time Where i wasn't doing like client hours so i couldn't collect the hours and that was frustrating so that's when i decided to take my lsat to go to law school um but i'm not a person that likes to study so i kind of like just took it off of a whim Uh (laughs) i didn't do too bad for not studying for that test but it wasn't enough for me to go to columbia because obviously you need like a top-notch score for that school so the other route was hey, what about a PhD in psychology? I kind of like what I'm learning here. And mm-hmm. then when I get my doctorate, you cannot not hire me. You have a doctor. Like you have to hire me. And that was really honestly the thought process. Like I'm sure. going to get hired.
0: Do you remember, you brought up a good point, you know, for licensure, you have to have so many hours, credits, and then you have to uh, show that you have done it in certain areas. Sometimes it's uh, individual group or, or family. Uh, Do you remember how many hours are you referring to in New York, the state of New York? Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you remember how many hours were required when you were going through?
1: Um, 3,000 in order to get licensed postgraduate. So once okay. you graduate, you have to do three thousand hours in the field, client, and it's not all client face to face. It's they. I don't remember what it breaks down to, but usually like a certain percentage with supervision, a certain percentage with clients, a certain percentage with um, paperwork or maybe administrative or testing. I honestly, don't remember what it breaks down to, but it's about two out two hours. Sorry, two years worth of getting hours before you can actually take the test. And if you pass, then you get the license.
0: And a lot of guests have highlighted that it's not a given that you're going to find people that will sign off on those hours too. So you have to find that opportunity or opportunities to uh, go ahead and work on that and then have people sign off for those hours. Uh, you mentioned it a little bit already, but how and why did you select Walden University for your PhD? Were you considering other schools or programs? And if so, why did you go to Walden?
1: Um, well, during my whole master's, I was working the paralegal job. So I was working, at least in the beginning, full, full-time doing paralegal, but that was per diem. Eventually, I did get a full-time job in, for um, foster care. So I was working essentially like nine to five jobs I was doing going to school at night. So I I want to say I'm no, I don't think I applied to a PhD program, but I um that was brick and mortar. But I did look at like John Jay and a couple other schools, but their acceptance rate was, I don't know, it was something low, maybe 12 to 20 students. It was something low where I'm like, do I want to pay all these application fees and possibly not get accepted? And then have to do school at night and work during the day and it was literally I'd get out of work and luckily I worked at Rockefeller Center people know in New York City, I was on 6th Avenue and like 52nd Street, John Jay was on 59th. so all I had to do was walk up seven blocks and like shoot over like two other blocks and I can go right to school but. If I would have done other programs, depending on brick and mortar, it's travel on top of work. So that's when, I don't even know how I found Walden, but the online idea was perfect. I'm like, I'm tired of going to school. I can work and do school from, you know, home. Well, at least at the time, because Walden does have face-to-face as well, but it was just an ideal situation. That's how I ended up going with them.
0: Okay. Do you recall uh, having kind of a priority? What was most important for you? Was it location or ease of being able to get in the grad, you know, um, the acceptance rate or what was really important to you when selecting that graduate psychology program?
1: Um, a little bit of both. Definitely, okay. It was definitely location, the fact that I can go online. I don't have to worry about traveling to a school after my workday is done because I was tired. And then the other part was, I want, you know, I'm not making a lot of money living in New York City. It's expensive. So I'm like, do I want to dish out 150, 200 per application and then get denied? And And I'm not saying Walden had a higher acceptance rate. I think it was just. I don't know what their acceptance rate was, honestly. It was just at that point when I decided online was it, then I'm like, let's just submit everything I need to submit. And if it happens, it happens, it doesn't, it doesn't. I wasn't like, I have to do this. It was more so going with the flow. I'm not even going to lie. It's like, if this works, I'll go this direction. If it's not, I'll go a different direction.
0: Sure, sure. Well, it sounds like you we're going with the flow and you're very flexible. And, and uh, it, it definitely, from what I see in your uh, journey, it definitely worked out. Um, any advice for those who are seeking a graduate degree in psychology now that you've gone through it, any advice for those who are seeking a graduate degree in psychology?
1: Yes, um, definitely speak with enrollment staff about the whole licensing um, requirements for their state, find out how many hours you need, find out how the school assists in getting those hours or um, having connections to other businesses or other mental health professionals that can help get those hours. Um, talk about, because Walden is a non-APA school, and I know they've been working towards being APA accredited, that's the American Psychological Association. Mm-hmm. Um, they're working on getting, it, but they're not there yet. So what I never understood probably till was almost like my third year in is when you have a non-APA PhD degree, you can't get board certified, and you're kind of blacklisted in certain areas. Like I can't. I was in the military, but I can't work as a psychologist in the military because I don't have an APA accredited degree. So those are things that I didn't understand or know until I was ready. Like full force in the program and it was like you can switch we don't offer this but you can switch. And at that point I'm not going to switch I already have all this time put in and the credits aren't going to necessarily transfer over to the brick and mortar schools. So I finished and luckily I'm at where I'm at but definitely things just to like really understand and ask questions about because I had no clue what I was doing at that point.
0: Very good point. Uh, We have talked about the difference between APA accredited schools and non-APA and the impact it has on your career potential and where you can actually practice after you receive your PhD. Getting back to, you know, in hindsight, now looking at your application process, when you're kind of looking, not only uh, applying, you already mentioned, hey, be aware that every application has a fee to it and you have to kind of stay within your own budget. Uh, anything else that you could suggest for those who are going to go through that that process of searching for graduate schools or programs? any advice for them?
1: Um, at least in the process, it honestly just what works for you if you have a support system where you're at, maybe stay closer to that because it's a lot of work being in the graduate program. So when you have support of family or friends, it makes it a lot easier to like work through that. I was more newer to New York, so I didn't really have much at the time, but luckily I have one friend, we paired up together and did a lot of our work. And to this day, I mean, we don't talk on that level anymore, but when she ended up leaving New York, I wrote like this whole card thanking her, like you were literally my angel, because I don't know how I would have like made it through that time without her so I would say stay where support is and if you're going to venture out keep people close in that process but yeah and like you said it's all about staying in the budget because student loans all that good stuff that comes with is I'm paying for it now but I'm okay it's fine.
0: (laughs) The other thing when I was going through graduate school is I uh, didn't realize at the time and now I do afterwards is if you uh, if you know you want to go to graduate school, consider going through a master's program or a PhD program. But more and more PhD programs offer a stipend and or a tuition waiver or funding for three, four, five. Just uh, last week on my last uh, uh, guest, she was fortunate enough to have six years of guaranteed funding. And I haven't heard that in a long time. So Uh, I guess my message to everybody is that uh, if you're considering going through for your Ph.D., instead of doing a stepping stone of a master's program and then apply to a Ph.D., apply directly to the Ph.D. program because your likelihood of getting funding throughout that whole program is much greater than if you just do a master's only and then try to continue. Uh, Any other thoughts uh, on that?
1: I mean, I didn't even know that. So it's something I learned today. Um, I also never, at least in my time, never imagined a PhD, you would have asked, no way am I doing all that work? That's ridiculous. (laughs) A Dissertation, never. So it wasn't even in my mindset to go that far. But now that I know you're right, I, I have uh, an assistant that works for me and she's in a master's to PsyD program. So it's like one shoots right into the next. And I think you shave off a year of schooling as well.
0: Yep. Yeah, the funding is there, you might uh, get it done sooner. And then um, you basically get your master's in, in passant or on passant in passing uh, for that. And then uh, you have all of your degrees there. Now, here's, I'm going to give you a little bit of information leading up to this next question, because I, I I loved before we started recording, I told you one of my Uh, fun parts of my job uh, preparing for these interviews is to look at everybody's journey and uh, you worked as a uh, psychology associate for your practicum at Children's Service Center and you completed an internship as a pre-doctoral psychology intern at community education centers then you also worked as a behavioral specialist consultant mobile therapist which was interesting at NHS Human Services Many of our audience members often wonder how our, how our guests find these opportunities. Can you remember how you found some of these and and do you have any advice for those who are looking for these types of opportunities while they're in graduate school?
1: Ooh, okay. So it's a, it's a bit of a hustle. Um Walden did provide a spreadsheet of possible placements for practicum and internship. Um I exhausted that list, I think. By chance, Children's, Servi- um, Children's CSC, Children's Service Center. Um, at the time when I reached out, they didn't have anything for in a practicum. So they kind of spoke with their psychology director and pulled me in kind of last minute to get that going. Um, so hopefully, I'm praying that kept continuing for other Walden students after me, um, but I exhausted their list. And then when I got to Community Education Center, CEC, that was a program tied into the jail systems. It was a alternative to um, incarceration program they had. Mm -hmm. And that was also a last minute opportunity. I exhausted Walden's internship list called Everybody. I went on Psychology Today, called All These Private Practices. Anybody looking for an intern that they could teach me, and obviously it's free, work for them that could get done. And by chance, I'm not even sure how I got, I don't know if I called community education center and they called me back or if it was another student that told me about the opportunity. Cause there's a few of us that did it that year, um, but it was really a hustle. I'm not going to lie. It could have been an easy, I give up and then it just stopped there, but it was constant calling cold calls, trying to find somebody, anybody that would pick it up. So it's not an easy task. I'm not even going to lie about that not
0: easy at all so jump on it right away and and start looking for those opportunities yeah for no over nine years you have worked at rutgers university first as a mental health specialist uh related to the vets for warriors and then as a program director uh in the veterans total care initiative program and then finally i think over the the last four four and a half years of your nine-year stint You work as a mental health clinician, licensed psychologist, and uh, I'm going to share my screen and kind of walk us through kind of how you found those opportunities and any advice for those who are interested in looking at getting more uh, experience doing that. So uh, first of all, can you see my screen? Yes, I can. Okay. And so, like I said, over nine years at Rutgers and uh, you mentioned... Uh, At one point, I mentioned the Vets for Warriors and then the Total Care Initiative, and then um, you also, before that, worked at the Valley Youth House, Um, and so you have a wide variety of experiences here, but as you said, CEC is down here, and one thing that I wanted to highlight that you did talk about was um, the Department of Corrections here, and so tell me a little bit more about that experience. Not a lot of people... A would even want to, uh, but B, you know, have that uh, experience working with the uh, uh, inmates at a uh, at a facility. So tell me what you remember about your experience working with them.
1: Um, that was an amazing opportunity. Uh, working for Rutgers was also by chance that during when I got the Vets for Warriors job, which is a call center. So it was a peer-to-peer calls, veterans calling in to other veterans for peer support. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started there and that honestly, I think I got in because I was a veteran, but I was applying to anything clinician related at the time. So Rutgers, probably other clinical jobs, nothing kind of picked up, but for some reason that one was a brand new program got hired pretty much like the week after I interviewed. So that's kind of how I got my foot in the door. So once I was in, it was, I want to say easier to navigate Rutgers, but it gave me the opportunity to eventually get to that last spot, which is the Department of Corrections. Rutgers has a contract with um, the New Jersey state prisons. So the mental health and medical staff are all under Rutgers. And they were hiring at the time, looking for somebody in that position, for that position. And because I wasn't licensed yet, it was a, you didn't need a license for that position. It was a great opportunity for me to go on as like a postdoc. So I got my hours while I was there. Um, I got a lot of support, a lot of different, obviously as you know, in prison scenarios, a lot of different types of diagnoses, different ways to work in mental health, counseling, groups, testing. So it was like a, a, a nice, hot, full of different opportunities to practice in the psychology field.
0: How was it different? I had one other guest uh, that I can remember that uh, actually worked with inmates. How is an inmate patient different than the public, uh, uh, you know, client? Can you, is that, a, does that make sense to you? I'm trying to think of maybe they're forced to go in. I'm not sure if that was the case in, in the facility that you worked and they don't want to be here. So that makes it challenging in and of itself. Tell me a little bit about how that is different than your current clients. Maybe that's a better way to put it.
1: Um, not too much different. Um, it was a voluntary, it oh, was what? just mental health services are here. Okay. Um, if you want, you can use them. The only ones that I want to say are more not voluntary is if you come in on a medication, then you're required to do therapy in order to continue using medication. So they pretty much had to show up and see us because of the fact that they were on a med or wanted a med, I should say. Some of them wanted meds and they didn't necessarily need them. Because, um, you know, you're in prison, you can't do much. You, some of them want to just sleep their time away. So it's like, give me something that's going to make me drowsy. Right. Um, but other than that, same problems or same issues, depression, anxiety stuff, maybe more, um, what's the word? Maybe a lot bigger or more present because you're forced to sit down in a prison and think about your problems, whatever you're escaping from, whether it be drugs or you know, you're know you out busy, just anybody in normal life, i told the inmates this, I'm like, this is the time that you get forced to sit down with yourself. We're so busy in our everyday lives that we don't get that chance to like really explore ourselves. And this is an opportunity for you to really get to know who you are. And by chance, it happened during COVID. Everybody was forced to sit with (laughs) themselves. So it's really a similarity because a lot of clients that come to me now will say like during COVID, I was, I noticed this about me or I noticed this or this increased. And I'm like, this is exactly what happens when the guys came, because I work with them. And they came into the prisons, like now they're sitting with their can we swear on here
0: try to avoid it but you can say whatever oh, okay. you like
1: <laughs> we'll say because i like to be natural but they have to sit with their shit yeah yep. okay. so and that kind of happened for people during covid if anybody wants some type of relation when we got locked down is like you have to sit with your stuff you're not busy ripping and running around in life you actually sit still for a minute and then you like realize that there's other things going on you have been trying to avoid
0: okay well, thank you. I wasn't sure how it worked at your facility. Uh, it seems like it was voluntary, but uh, a lot of people that were coming in and they were on medication were required to go through the therapy. So, And now, currently, you are the CEO and owner of Reserve for You Psychological Services. Uh, and this is in New Jersey, I believe. And so tell us a little bit more about, you know, first of all, when did you know that you wanted to start your own practice? Let's start there.
1: Um, during COVID. it <laughs> <laughs> actually, um, it was a, a brief discussion that uh, a colleague and I had a couple of years before COVID. We, were, we wanted to do maybe private practice because at the time I was doing evaluations as a part-time job for children. So we thought about opening up something on the side to do uh, autism evaluations because it was much needed. Uh, there was like a backlog, kids wait six months to a year to get evaluated for autism. So initially that's where the idea got introduced. Nothing I ever thought of doing, nothing schools talked about or showed us how to do that. Mm -hmm. So that's when it got introduced. Uh, During COVID, a medical doctor committed suicide in New York City because of all the losses, it was too much. And accordingly to friends and family, didn't have any mental health background, no issues, nothing that they knew of. So the death was very sudden, very um, surprising for them. And it just made me really sad to see something like that. And I'm like, I just need to open up my own practice. And the initial idea was to go in and do these trauma teams in the hospitals, help out the staff. Like, they're overloaded. They're And I used to run trauma groups in prison. So trauma was something I was into at the time. Um, and getting more knowledge and more skill put in there. So I wanted to have these trauma teams get this private practice going. We're going to go in, we're going to provide all these these therapies for nurses and doctors. And that's initially essentially how it all started. Did I answer the question? (laughs) You
0: you did. And I'm going to share my screen again here because I wanted to highlight your services. uh, Some of the uh, general services that are out there as well. EMDR, you also... Uh, Offer and then obviously uh, mindfulness based therapy. You also do some telehealth and you're licensed to do telehealth as well. Uh, And then you work with individuals as well as uh, other people. I wanted to give you a moment to talk about you are working on a 12 week boundaries group that is going to be starting up here pretty soon. Uh, the day after my birthday, actually, in a couple of weeks on Wednesday. And so tell me a little bit more about what this is about. And here's your little uh, time to try to find more people if you're looking for more participants.
1: Yes, thank you. Um, So I I normally do individual therapy, because couples and families are not my forte. Um, But what I spoken to with a lot of clients is, or at least introduced a lot of my sessions, are boundaries in general, because it's a big issue uh, that I noticed with, I want to say, like all of my clients, every client I ever worked with. Um, so I wanted to be able to help more people because I don't have space to bring on any more individual clients. So I was trying to find a way to bring on and help more people on a bigger level without um needing to take up much time, you know, instead of bringing on 12 people individually, we can meet for an hour and a half once a week. And to me, the boundaries group is a great stepping stone into therapy. So if somebody has never done it, it's a nice way to introduce kind of the flow of therapy because I'll have a similar setup with the group. And meaning, you know, we'll come in, talk about, you know, how your week was, maybe review homework from the week before. And then, you know, we're going to go over a topic, Use an exercise with each other to um, understand that topic more. And then obviously before people go, I'll sign another homework assignment. So it's kind of got the flow of therapy. Um, and it also gets uh, individuals time. If there's a huge backlog of um, people needing therapy, I'll get, I get calls and I'm not saying it's cause I'm popular. I just get calls because everybody's getting calls. It's not just me. It's the most therapists that I at least have in their therapist community saying like, they just don't have space anymore. So there's a lot of people wanting and needing therapy. And I just, there's not enough therapists out there to help. So I figured if anything, while you're waiting to start with somebody, this could be a nice jump in as well to start working on some things. I mean, boundaries are huge. So it'll provide some relief for you may not answer something that happened traumatic when you're younger, may not answer um, helping with ongoing anxiety or depression, but it'll help set boundaries in other areas of your life that may lessen some of those experiences or symptoms that you have.
0: Okay, well, good. Uh, I know we have a few minutes left here. I wanted to get in a few other questions. Tell us some of the challenges associated with starting your business.
1: Oh, where to start? Literally, <laughs> you don't know where to start. Um, there's so many different ways to go. Um, and I honestly, luckily joined a group called Clinicians of Color on Facebook. So you have all BIPOC therapists, not all, by far not all, but a huge chunk, like 20, 25,000 maybe in the group. And a lot of them have their own prior practice. A lot of people share their info. So that's kind of where I got a way to start mm-hmm. um, and it really honestly was a lot of pulling from different areas once you kind of open that window you can sign up for a free class here and then all of a sudden out of nowhere everybody's sending you stuff I'm not sure how these listserv take your name but everybody has something to offer in regards to opening private practice so it was between a book I got on private practice like a checklist. On Amazon, maybe ten dollars, and then just being in that group, seeing what people kind of feed in, um, and ways to start. So basically, you know, have a business plan. Who who do you want to serve? How do you want to serve them? Get your um your your name of your business because that's kind of inform how you're going to go with everything else, and then you just kind of build off of that. Okay. And, it's so much. I couldn't even nope. tell you. <laughs> That's good. You gave us a
0: glimpse into what you uh, what you had to go through and some advice. What do you love most about your job?
1: Oh, working for myself. I get to pick clients that I. I'm not saying I don't. I push anybody away. I actually surprisingly naturally attract people I like working with. I don't think I've ever had to turn anyone down that didn't fit for me. Um, But it's just being able to work with clients where um, like I want somebody that's motivated. So like in the prison system, sometimes you would get people because they had to, they're a mess. They're not necessarily motivated to do anything. They just show because they have to show up but I like people that want to work on stuff and it motivates me more because I, you know, you can only give as much as the other person gives. If you give a hundred, I'm giving a hundred, but I can't do more work than you're doing. So I get a chance to have that in my work and I get to make my own hours. Um, you collaborate with different clinicians around or um, just to get like your own peer consultation, but it's nothing forced on you. It's And you're not limited by a wall. Like obviously people in the mental health field and they'll learn if they haven't learned feel like you're only allowed to make so much money this bill is make a lot of money that's a lot Mm. there's plenty of ways to be profitable and do the work that you're doing I mean I don't so under I don't know what to say the word is but you can do it and you can do it by yourself you don't need to work for a company I would say work with the company first so you can get idea of how things go and how to work with clients. Once you have that, if you're willing to do it, step out on your own, and you can build on with what your skill set is.
0: Especially with telehealth now available in person, brick and mortar, uh, many different options out there. Uh, Because you're a therapist, I always ask this question, or I try to remember to ask this question, if you were in therapy, could you describe your ideal therapist, (laughs) (laughs)
1: Probably. <laughs> <laughs> somebody who's going to be open, transparent, somebody that um, is going to hear and see me. I know you think that sounds cliche as a therapist, but some therapists, at least from what I've heard, not in my own experience, clients will say like, they don't feel like they're seen or heard, or some of them get distracted in therapy. Some of them really aren't listening or there's judgment, which is obviously the opposite of what a therapist should be. But i want somebody who's going to be real tell me things that maybe are i don't want to hear push me beyond what i'm wanting to do because you know we can avoid every day but i want somebody to call me out on it hey sure. i've noticed you're kind of avoiding this can you what's what is this can we talk about this more can we go there what are you you know just providing that space for them to feel safe enough to work on things that maybe they don't really want what answer or want to work on.
0: Right. No, that's a, good, uh, that's a good point. At the end of our conversation, usually I like uh, asking our guests some fun questions. One of them is, tell me something unique about yourself.
1: Um, I love giraffes. You love what? <laughs>
0: giraffes. Giraffes, really? Where do you think that came from?
1: Um, honestly, when I was younger, I think, you know, everybody likes like certain animal a cheetah or an elephant, like the common one. So I was like, I want something that's different because that's just me. Right. So <laughs> I like their pattern and then giraffe is so unique. I was like, I love it. Cause at the time growing up too, Jada now is more common when I was younger, I didn't know any Jada's. So, you know, I always felt different and I'm like, okay, I'm like a giraffe. We can be the same together.
0: Nice. Nice. <laughs> what is your favorite term? principle, or theory, and why?
1: Um, that I used in therapy.
0: That you used in therapy or that you learned when you're going through your graduate school or even undergrad?
1: Um, this is probably where the, keeping the swearing at a minimum, but almost always in somewhere in a session, and I always ask clients, you know, I'll say part of my French or I'll, you know, well, almost all my clients are okay with it. But I would say, like, that's your sh-. when mm-hmm. somebody gets defensive, is basically what it comes down to. So it's like if you're in a situation talking to somebody, um, or something somewhere in some sense happens, and you feel like a feeling in your chest, or you get defensive, or you want to react as opposed to just taking a moment to think about something and then respond, is what I will say it all the time. That's your, sh-. and mm-hmm. I put it on my. Instagram before too, but I'll say respectfully that's right. right. So it's like to check that. What is that? Um, so not anything technical, theory, um, but if I were to go with like a technique, it would totally be EMDR.
0: Okay. All right. Do you have any other advice for those interested in the field of psychology or those who want to break into the field of psychology?
1: I would say do it if you want it, if that's where your interest is at, don't anything hold you back. Being in a non-APA program, there's a lot of limits, but I have pushed beyond what people said I could do. Like, I decided I wouldn't be able to get licensed. I'm licensed. Um, Some people look at the degree as, sorry, some people look at the degree as um, something uh, like Walden that's not credible. I was once told, like, I wasn't going to Um, bring you on board because you've got your degree online like it's a piece of crap so Mm -hmm. it did stick with me for a little while I would kind of doubt myself because of the the degree but I'm at where I'm at so I can prove that if anything for myself that I'm more than capable so for everybody to know if you feel limited in programs or where you want to go that you can do it just don't don't let the negativity hold you down um, because there'll be a lot of that
0: Good advice and then a good message. Uh, if you had the time and money to complete one project or go on one trip, what would you do? Unlimited funds, unlimited time to do a project or a trip. What would you do?
1: I well, probably go back to that trauma team idea put something together literally from top to bottom if they need research on how it would work hire all the staff i need to hire and get them into the hospitals because even to this day doctors and nurses are burned out
0: okay and so
1: their work is less effective
0: that's a good idea uh, to go back and do that um and again, I'll put the plug in for again, if you're looking for more people for that 12-week boundary group session, you have until the end of the day on September 13th, Tuesday, uh, to sign up for that uh, online and virtual uh, boundaries group. Is there anything else that you would like to discuss or bring up in this podcast? Not that I
1: think. Well,
0: I appreciate your time and willingness to share your journey and your thoughts and your experiences, as well as some of your advice. Uh, I don't think I mentioned it, but a lot of people refer to you as Dr. J. So I'll close it out by saying, Dr. J, thanks again for sharing your story with us.
1: Thank you for having me. That was fun.
0: Thanks for listening to the Masters in Psychology podcast. If you want to learn more about our guests or listen to other podcasts, you can visit our website, mastersinpsychology.com, where you can search through all of the schools in the United States that offer advanced degrees in psychology. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like, follow, or share.